This is Megan Shoemaker, and you're listening to Free, the podcast, where together we can explore how to design our lives more in line with our values, and as a result, find our own personal freedom so that we can live a life full of purpose, fun, adventure, and wonder. Let's get ready to feel more free. Hello, everybody, and thank you for being here. Today, we're talking about identity, independence, how we define ourselves, and just a whole lot more. Like, what does independence mean to you? Is it the same as what you were taught when you were growing up? Or is it completely different? Maybe it's changed throughout your life as you grew and learned and made decisions for yourself and learned to trust that those decisions were actually right for you. Even though at the time, it seemed like you had no direction and were just wandering aimlessly. I've always felt like I was in search of something. Some kind of meaning or purpose to life in general and to my own life. Like, Why are we pulled in different directions from what we thought our path was? Or why are some people okay with following a pre-planned path? I always thought that that would be my path. Once I decided on a career, I thought I'd follow it logically. Get a good job in a reliable company, continue to grow, get better at it, improve my skills, get great health benefits in a 401k and retire early. That was my plan. It made sense to me. And I felt lucky to have a career that was really versatile and flexible and that was helpful to others because that was important to me. But eventually I veered from that plan. I liked what I was doing for the most part, but I wanted something different. I was drawn to the outdoors and I didn't know why. And once I had a taste of freedom, it's really difficult to jump right back into that prior mold. The mold didn't quite fit anymore and the subtle pinching caused an accumulating discomfort that becomes impossible to ignore. And then you look for any excuse to break free of it. Like, who are you? How do you identify yourself as? And does it seem like it fits? Or is it like a shirt that's soft and comfortable, but somehow feels like it's a size too small and you grew out of it, but you can't seem to throw it away because you're too sentimental and it brings you comfort. We all use different methods of numbing at the discomforts. Some people use drugs or alcohol, distractions like TV, time with friends, exercise, perusing social media. Some methods are more beneficial or socially acceptable than others, but eventually something has to give and either you break or you change direction. For a long time, I wish I could be that person who could be happy with the two weeks of vacation time and the steady paycheck from reliable work. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm not. And today I'm talking with somebody who I know can relate. This conversation is with Christine Reed. She's an avid outdoors person, a hiking guide, adventurer, and now she's an author too. She wrote the book Alone in Wonderland, which I originally thought was a book about backpacking the 93-mile Wonderland Trail. I've actually avoided reading most backpacking books recently because I've had the intention of writing my own, but since 10 years has passed and I've not really even written a full chapter, it's probably time to stop worrying about being influenced by other people's stories and allow myself to be inspired by them. I hadn't read the book yet when we recorded this interview, but I wasn't too worried about it. I figured we were going to be talking about three of my favorite topics, so how hard could this be? Backpacking, the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier, which is my favorite mountain, and self-discovery. She had written a couple of articles too, and I very much related to her writing and experiences. She through hiked over 600 miles of the AT. She's a van lifer, which is something that I always dream about, and she's somewhat of an unexpected outdoor enthusiast. And I too took to backpacking, but struggled with all the physicalities of it, and the lack of experience, and the lack of outdoorsy friends to show me the way. I figured we had enough in common that our conversation would just flow, which it did. But it turns out that her book is so much more than the superficial ideas I had about it. She went really deep in the book. Of course, it was about the trip too, 
but she flashed back to parts of her life that were real and raw and sometimes traumatic. From sexual assault to grieving the loss of her mom, it's about letting go of someone else's dream for you and following your own path, creating your own tribe, and the balance between finding connection with others and a sense of independence at the same time. We talk about feeling lost, challenging yourself, and trying to prove yourself. We talk about self-acceptance and gaining a new perspective about your body and capabilities. We talk about how female independence is defined in our culture and really dissected whether there's truth in that and how being alone can allow yourself to be more observant of your thoughts and face your demons. And we also talk about living up to or not living up to the expectations of others and finding peace and taking an alternate path. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christine. My name is Christine Reed. I am an avid backpacker and outdoors woman. Um, I did not come by those things naturally. It's been quite a process to get where I am. Um, and I just recently wrote and published a book called Alone in Wonderland. That's awesome. And I, I was not a backpacker either and I came to it in a my adult life. So I related a lot to that too, because you, you were, were you in college when you started hiking? Um, it was just after college. Okay. Okay. So Yeah. I remember begging my parents. I wanted to do an outward bound thing. Cause I really wanted to get into the outdoors. I don't know why we didn't grow up that way at all. And they were like, Nope, you're going to hate it. There's no way we're going to pay that much money for you to want to come home anyway. So I had to wait until I was actually making my own money to learn how to do that. So, but you almost seem like in some of the writings that I was reading from you, like an unlikely hiker, it didn't seem like it came naturally to you. So can you talk a little bit about, about that? What what drove you to want to get into hiking and backpacking and being the outdoors person that you are now? Sure. Yeah, I wasn't, my parents were not outdoorsy. We didn't do outdoors things when I was a kid. They were really academically focused. And so mm. for me, like a fun Saturday was laying in bed and reading a book after my chores were done. Um, so, <laughs> so like we, that's just how we spent our time when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really understand or even know that the outdoors culture was a thing. Um, mm -hmm. and I remember being pretty young and my, you know, my grandparents took us on a hike one time. Um, and then I went to sixth grade camp and we went on a hike and I remember thinking, this is miserable. Oh. Um, <laughs> And I wasn't a very active child either. So I didn't like do sports and I was, I was not athletic. Things were hard for me and yeah. I would get out of breath playing tag. And, and once that happens to you a few times and you realize like, I'm the only person here who can't tag anybody, it really isn't fun. And so then you just stop doing those things. And so I didn't play games on the playground and I, I stayed inside and like cleaned projector sheets <laughs> for the teacher. Oh you know, and, and that was just my normal. And so then when I got a little older, you know, once I was in college, I had a boyfriend who was into hiking and he took me a few times and I had a really bad time because he was, uh, he was super fit and we went on like a two mile hike and, and it was really hard for me and I was yeah. breathing hard and my heart was racing and, and he really looked at me and said, is something wrong with you? And instead of making me want to go to a doctor and see if something was wrong with me, it just made me feel a lot of shame mm. um, because I thought it was my fault. Yeah. And I thought I've never been active. I've never exercised. I'm just a really out of shape person. And so that made me not want to like try. And so after that, I was like never hiking again. Mm. <laughs> um, and then after I graduated from college, I had a bit of a loss for what to do now that there was no like academic goals for me as a 23 year old. Um, well, what did you go to college for? I had a, got a BA in business management. Okay. Yeah. Which everyone tells you is like, great. And you can do anything with it, but yeah, well, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> not if you don't really have a plan. Um, so I was working in health insurance, you know, I had a good job and I was making decent money, but I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. And mm -hmm. so I was kind of wondering like, okay, what's the next thing I should be doing? And I just stumbled upon a blog about the Appalachian Trail 
and I had never heard of it. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole of like people talking about how to prep food and Mm -hmm. buy trekking poles and like all the different things that you think about and do. Um, And there was all these forums and hundreds of people on there asking questions and answering questions. And there was something really lovely about the community aspect, even just in the online forums of of people answering questions. And but then there was also all the people who were writing about why they were hiking. And Mm. when I read these people's explanations of feeling lost or needing to run away from a bad situation and reinvent themselves and and do some inner searching I thought all of these people are me. And I thought if all of these people who a lot of them didn't have experience or, you know, they weren't hikers, if they can all just put a backpack on their back and do the thing, then why couldn't I? Right. So you did. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really on a a big level. It was about challenging myself and, and proving to myself that I didn't always have to be that out of shape person who was embarrassed to go out and hike with their friends who were all miraculously in better shape than me. No, it's super demoralizing, I think. And I know that you eventually found that you had a medical condition that was causing some of that. For me, it really was that I just really was out of shape (laughs) and I'm just not athletically inclined. I was always kind of behind the pack. But um, is that when you found out that you had a a heart, uh, you have a heart condition, right? Yeah. So I actually didn't find out until this year. Um, so yeah, so I hiked 650 miles of the Appalachian trail in 2015. After that, I started running. I got into rock climbing. I did some other short backpacking trips. And then in 2018, I did the Wonderland trail, which is what the book is about. Right. And, and then it wasn't until summer or fall of 2020 that I finally went to a doctor and got diagnosed immediately. I explained to the doctor what it felt like when I exercised and she knew right away what it was. And so now that I've had, you know, it's been six months since I got diagnosed and it's really changed my perspective about what to expect out of my body and also like how to better appreciate my body for what it can do. Right. Um, Because it sounds like you do quite a lot. Somebody that might have a condition might not push themselves to be doing a lot of the things that you have kind of forced yourself to do because you wanted to, but. Yeah. I actually, the day I found out, I, I cried because I thought I have done so much work in the last five years And every time I set out a new goal for myself, whether it was the AT or running my first half marathon or learning to rock climb, I, I kept thinking in the back of my mind, this will be the thing that will make me be in shape now. Like Mm. at the, at the end, once I've accomplished this goal, I will be able to compare myself to other people and see that I'm not struggling more than they are anymore. Like I kept thinking if I just work a little harder, I'll get there. And so when I found out that that just isn't true and that it will always be hard, there was a sense of relief that it wasn't my personal fault. It was my body's fault, (laughs) but it was also a sense of loss because I, I thought there was this idea of who I was trying to become that I had held up on a pedestal of like, someday I'm going to get to be that person. Mm -hmm. And, and the diagnosis just, it was kind of an end of that. Like I, I will never be that person that I thought I was working towards. And I had to like grieve that loss, loss of an idea of who I could be. But it also made me, it made me so much more appreciative for who I am. And, and it gave me a sense of accomplishment in that, like, okay, I don't have to keep working and working and working and working, hoping to get to this goal. Like I was able to, for the first time, look at where I was and see it as an accomplishment. Right. I mean, because it, I mean, it almost makes everything that you did, uh, and I shouldn't say almost, I think it does make everything that you did an even bigger accomplishment because it was so much harder for you to work through that. But yeah, I I can see a sense of relief just knowing that there is a a reason and an answer and, and then being able to grieve that, but then 
I assume now you've found acceptance in where you're at. What what drove you to dry, to write the book that you wrote about the Wonderland Trail? Can you talk about that transition and that trip? Yeah, so that was before I had this, but I had done my big section of the Appalachian Trail and then I moved to Denver for a little while um, and just like had a job and did the normal thing. And, and I was feeling really restless. I think once you've taken time off, from kind of the rat race to go explore yourself and do the thing like it's really hard to go back and it's really hard to go back (laughs) (laughs) and you never like you're never going to be the person you were when you were happy in your job um Mm -hmm. again and so you have to either find a new way to find meaning in what you're doing or you have to change what you're doing and and there's just adjustments that have to be made and I was in that process but I was I was feeling stuck. And so I quit my job and moved into a van and I saw all of these people like living glamorously in vans on Instagram. And, and I thought, oh, that seems pretty great. Right. (laughs) And it was in a lot of ways, but it also is not as glamorous as it seems on the internet, of course. But so I was in the van for about six months when I was spending some time in Portland And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I'm going to Mount Rainier. You should come up and we'll do a day hike. So I drove up, it was a couple hours and met her there and we did a day hike. And I crossed over a trail crossing with the Wonderland Trail. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I've heard of that trail. Because of course, once you've done a long trail, you have social media friends who are hikers and you hear about other things. And so I'd heard of the Wonderland and I thought, I'm pretty sure I heard people say that was worth doing. And so I Googled it and I was like, okay, a hundred miles, like I could do that. And so I got things set up in a couple of days and I just went and applied for a permit. But I think before that, before my friend called me, I was kind of wandering and living in the van and feeling really kind of lonely and adrift. I was, Mm. I didn't really have a direction. I had quit my job to go live in a van, but I didn't really know what I was trying to accomplish by living in a van. And I was spending a lot of time alone. It's really easy to do that when you live in a van because you just have this little bubble of like safety and protection. (laughs) And so it's easy to, to isolate. And I definitely had been doing that. And so I was searching for connection and I looked at the Wonderland Trail and I remembered the community on the AT and I thought, okay, like if I go out and backpack, I'll meet other backpackers. I'll make friends. That's kind of one of the things I was looking for Mm -hmm. um, out of the experience. And I don't know that that's exactly what I got, but the community on a short trail is a lot different than the community on a long trail because you're only out there for a week or so. And you're not, you're not afforded the flexibility that you have on a long trail with camping because everything is permitted. Yeah. You're tied to each site that you I don't know if if you say submitted, but it's like you're tied to your plan ahead of time, right? Yeah, you have reservations. (laughs) So even though I got a walk-up permit, I still was assigned to campsites. And so every day I had to stop where where I was assigned to stop. And so you can't meet somebody on the trail and go like, oh, I'm going to go camp with you tonight. Because they're going somewhere, you're going somewhere. And so the social aspect is just a little bit different. So I do talk in the book quite a bit about the people that I met and some of the interactions that I had. And and one of the things that's nice about that kind of forced separation is like you don't cling on to somebody else and and then go along with their plan and forget what you're doing. And so I definitely met people that I thought, oh, I would hike with this person for the whole time, but I can't. So I have to then face myself. I have to still be alone, which was part of the reason that I'm out here, right? Is like this Mm. kind of search for independence and for identity. And it's easy when you're looking for those things to get wrapped up in other things and, and quit doing the work. And one of the big things. It's like a distraction. Yeah. Mm. And, and hiking is like meditating where Mm. part of the experience is just being in space with yourself and hearing your own thoughts and facing your demons and, right. and, and really thinking about who you are. And it is easy with the community to kind of drown those things out. It's like at home, instead of meditating, we watch TV. 
Right. And we don't, and we don't have to listen to our thoughts because we're watching mm-hmm. TV. I know. Um, and on the trail, you can get sucked into social groups and you can, you can find ways to not be in your head if your head really doesn't want you there. For sure. But there is something about, and I, I know you mentioned you were kind of looking for that sense of community. And that is something that I feel like you can't find anywhere else. And maybe you can, but I, because I hiked the Appalachian Trail too. And it was just this strange, and I tend to be more introverted, like I'm not outgoing. So it's hard for me around large groups, but there was this connection between everybody who had the same goal and everybody trying to build each other up. And once you have that, I can see why you would long to find that again. You know, I spend way too much time in my head. So <laughs> definitely. And I think that, you know, we, we turn in internally to work on ourselves and grow. And, and if you have the right community, other people can help you do that too, mm-hmm. but you just have to find the balance of where are other people facilitating your growth and where are you using people as a distraction? Right. But yeah, I think there's a reason they talk about post-trail depression mm-hmm. because our communities in the outside world are rarely as cohesive and understanding and compassionate and jointly motivated as they are on the trail. Because right. by definition, you're all out there doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But there are ways that we can find that in the real world too, if that's joining a running group or rock climbing has been a big thing for me because it's it's something that people are really passionate about. And so if you get into communities of people who like that's their main thing, mm-hmm. it's very much like trail culture. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah. And that surprises me too, because you talk about your lack of athleticism and just kind of being a little bit soft, (laughs) which I relate to, which has always kind of turned me against rock climbing because I just, you know, like there's an intensity to that, I think. I don't know. I'd say that that's true. But I think if you live in a place like Denver, it's hard not to rock climb. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. So it's like... (laughs) It's probably not as ubiquitous there as it is here. Um, But I think also like as you try new things and you find yourself in these different situations, there's always like a next step. And right, hiking led me to running because when I got off the AT, I was sitting on the couch a lot and my legs started to get bad cramps. And mm. I thought, I just have to keep moving and I don't have time to hike all day. So right. I I started running. And then that led me to be interested in climbing and because people I knew were doing it. And so I thought, okay, let me give this a try. And I can't even name how many times I've said, oh, I will do this, but I'll never do that. And And then then a year later, (laughs) I'm like, well, (laughs) maybe that seems kind of fun too. (laughs) Yeah. But even, you know, strength wise, I, it took me a really long time in climbing to get to a level where I felt like I was even just doing things that a lot of people do in their first month, like without getting super into it, you know, there's a grading system and it goes from five, six to like five fifteen, and, and most people can climb a five, six or a five, seven on their first day. And it took me a month and a half to finish a five, seven. So that, you know, I always feel like I'm starting 10 steps behind and, and every new activity is that way. Some people just have this base level of fitness where they can go do any activity and be like medium good at it. And I feel like every single thing I have to take the baby beginner class to get the most basic skills and then like work on that for months to be able to do the next thing, you know, like I couldn't go get on a mountain bike today. Oh no. And like ride a trail. (laughs) Right. I just, I relate so much to that just because like I have this longing to do these things and try these new things and they're just not natural for me at all. But yet this drive and this longing is there that I can't ignore, but it gets frustrating because you see all these other people where it's so easy. And I, you know, I have trouble just riding my bike around the street. So, <laughs> but yet I want to go bike packing. So, you know, but I, I, I want to talk more about, you know, what, what you talk about in your book. Can we talk a little bit more about that internal journey that you had uh, on the Wonderland Trail? Because that's, you know, the book was more than just about the hiking experience. And you say, I, 
I think I I read it in the description of it. It's about defining who we are in the world and challenging ideas about who we should be. So can you talk more about that? Like what kind of discoveries did you did you have while you were out there? Sure. One of the big topics that I cover in the book is the idea of female independence. And I think generationally, we've been given different ideas depending on when we were born. Um, But I was told from a very young age, you can do anything you set your mind to and also never rely on a man. Hmm. And it was a very like, you're smart, you can go to college, you can get a job, you can take care of yourself. So then you shouldn't look to someone else to take care of you. And I think my parents were very financially focused when they said those things. Like it was very much about financial independence. And so I was raised with this idea that I should be independent and that that means financial independence. And I realized in my early twenties that there's more to being independent than financial independence. (laughs) Um, And when you hear the word independent, you like, there's like a solitary, like not lonely, but it's like this good version of lonely um, where you're supposed to not need anyone for anything. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of got to a point where I realized I really don't know how to do that many things for myself. Like I knew how to feed myself sort of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I knew how to go to a job and get told what to do and do those things and take paycheck and then pay people to do things for me. So Mm. I didn't know how to work on my car. I didn't know how to build anything. I didn't know how to fix anything, you know, Mm. like I didn't have a lot of functional skills, but I was really good at like running a store and doing financial paperwork and like things that it was all business savvy and not very much functional life skills. And I had a feeling of ineptitude maybe that, (laughs) you know, that I just thought like, can I really take care of myself and, and be an adult in this world? with just the skills that I have. And it made me really start to think about what independence means. And I think that's when and why I decided to go hike the AT. And then I decided to live in a van because I wanted to have this independent experience where I really only had myself to turn to in the event of whatever the world is going to throw at you on a day-to-day basis. Like you have to deal with that on your own. And so being far away from society gives you the opportunity to see like, what really am I capable of? Mm And then I think I transitioned into this idea then that to be independent, I had to be alone. And there's like a fine line there, right? Where we're exploring our independence and we're going off to be alone to see where we are. But then sometimes we get stuck in that aloneness and thinking that we have to like continue to do that for the rest of our lives. And that we're trying to prove something, right? We're trying to prove something to ourselves, but also to everyone else. Look at me, I'm so independent. And And I think there's a difference between true independence and just like making a show of being alone. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the Wonderland Trail, that was really one of the things I was grappling with. And then I hiked and every day on the trail, I went through cycles of either talking to people and, and thinking like, oh, this person's so great. I feel so much a part of this community. And then they would leave and then I would be alone and I would think oh, it's so nice to be alone. And then I would think, oh, it's so sad to be alone. And, you know, I was just going through this like roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, all in Um, one day, right? (laughs) Yeah, it would be like minute to minute. Like I would see a couple hiking together and I would think, I wish I had a boyfriend to hike with me. Mm -hmm. And then they would leave and I would think, I'm so happy to be alone. And and it was just so much conflicting, like stuff happening in my brain. And, And I think what I really came to at the end end of the trail when I decided to write the book was that I think number one we're all experiencing those things in our heads for sure Um, (laughs) and I thought you know who's writing about that experience of just like feeling desperately lonely and also trying to assert your independence and I thought I just don't know if I'd read anything like that and I wanted to share my experience because I felt like people would relate to it and you were right. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's so funny because I feel like like you're reading my history because that is so similar. 
when I was on the AT, I was just like, I wanted to prove something for sure. I, did, I had no idea why I was doing it. I just knew that I wanted to do it and I wasn't happy in life. And so it just felt like I need to step away and get a new perspective. But there was this constant fight with myself. I didn't want people to influence my decisions. I felt like every decision I made was because somebody else kind of guided me. And so like, I never really... I had this little group of people that I was with and we were called the happy brigade, which is so funny because I was the most miserable person. (laughs) But like, it would just be this, do I want to be with this group where I feel like, you know, I feel safe and secure, but I also want to push ahead and maybe they're holding me back. And there's just this like constant fight with myself that I need to be independent and not rely on anybody. And then at the end, realize what I might have missed by staying with people when I really felt like I needed them, you know? So it's just, I think that my whole life I'm trying to prove something, you know, I'm not really sure what, but, (laughs) but yeah. So like everything you're saying just makes perfect sense to me. And I appreciate that somebody else is going through something similar, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think one of the like little ironies of the story is it's a story about me feeling incredibly alone And everyone who's read it has then told me, I feel exactly like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it is a story about feeling alone, but the intention of the book is to make the reader feel less alone in their experience of feeling alone. (laughs) Like, yeah, we're all going through this. We're all feeling not a part of and separated from the community at large and whatever small communities we belong to. There's always these doubts of like, am I really here? And that imposter syndrome and oh, all of those, <laughs> all of those things, you know, and even like my social media, my Instagram is rugged outdoors woman, which started as a joke. Yeah. And then, you know, like, it was a very funny, like, oh, haha, isn't Christine so rugged? And and it's something that so many people now, that's how they know me. And I, I wonder sometimes, have I put out this wildly false idea of who I am into the world? Or am I just more than I think I am? You know, do I right. give myself not enough credit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's funny how different. We see ourselves from what other people see of us, you know, because I've like, I've had people describe me as a badass and I'm like so far from that. I am the biggest marshmallow wuss, but, (laughs) but if you only look at these little snippets of what is done and it's so different from other people, their perceptions are often very different from how we see ourselves. So I'm coming to realize that maybe I'm a little more badass than I give myself credit for too. Can I talk to you too? Because did I read that you have a spinal fusion also? Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing all these things. How did that come to be? Is Do you mind um, talking about it? We don't have to. Yeah, totally. I had my spine fused when I was 16 years old. I had scoliosis and it just oh, got okay. really severe. My mom had it too. So it was just like a genetic thing. Gotcha. But I grew really quickly my junior year of high school from four foot 11 to five nine. And so like my, my body just couldn't keep up. Um, and so I had my spine fused the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. And my doctor told me like, you will never insert long list of things here. So I can't jump on a trampoline or ride a horse or ski, or those are kind of the three big ones. Okay. (laughs) So anything that could cause just like direct impact on my tailbone. And so you know, they gave me this list of things and I was 16 and I was like, I don't want to do any of those things anyway. And okay. they were like, you might not be able to run. And I was like, good. <laughs> so Sweet. so I really, I, <laughs> I didn't take seriously the, the permanent life altering um, surgery that I was undergoing. And it really wasn't until my mid twenties when I decided to start backpacking that I thought for the first time, like, oh, I, this is something I have to think about. And so I went, I actually had a secondary spinal injury in my early twenties. That was partly a catalyst to the wonder or to the Appalachian trail as well. I fractured a vertebrae cliff jumping at a lake. And so I had a lot of pain after that. And was it like a compression fracture from, oh wow. Yeah. So 
I kind of ignored it for a little while, thinking it would just get better. And finally, I went to a doctor after I discovered the Appalachian Trail. And I said, I need to not be in this much pain because I want to backpack the Appalachian Trail. And my doctor said, uh, <laughs> if you want to do that, he said, you can do that, but you're, it's going to be a lot of work. Like you're going to have to do physical therapy and do recovery from this. So I did that. And for the most part, it doesn't affect me much. I get a little twingy sometimes if I don't do enough yoga or like stretch properly, right. but otherwise it's just a thing that I live with. And okay. You know, there are certain precautions that I take in terms of rock climbing and other activities that I think like, okay, there are risks I'm willing to take and risks that I feel like are pretty small. And then there are things that I'm not willing to do. So it's it's definitely something that I take into consideration with all of my decisions um, in regards to like athletics and, and outdoor activities, but it's definitely not something that holds me back. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm an occupational therapist, so I'm always curious about how people push their limits because you just seem like you you do that a lot purposefully, you know, running rim to rim and like all these amazing things that you've done that are hard for people without an injury or a disorder. So it's pretty amazing. I, I keep coming back to it. Yeah. Well, one of the things you said earlier about people, you know, someone with a heart condition might use that as a reason not to do things. And I actually, I'm very grateful that I didn't know that I had a heart condition when I was younger, because I think that I might've been that person who didn't do things because they were worried or they didn't know, or their doctor had told them not to. And, and now I feel, I feel very in tune with my body to be able to try things and, and know, am I doing something that might hurt me? my body will tell me. I don't have to ask somebody else's opinion about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's like this um, weird thing with labels. On one hand, it's helpful because you're understanding why things are difficult. So it's like you can have more compassion for yourself. But at the same time, I know I probably if I was in school now, I would have been diagnosed with like ADHD or something like that. And would have had that label and maybe wouldn't have pushed as hard as I did to get through things. So it's like this weird, are they good? Are they bad? I guess they just are, but you know. Yeah. When I think it depends on your personality type too, because some people are really defiant and they think if you're going to tell me I can't do something now, I'm definitely going to do it. Yeah, that's true. You know, and some people (laughs) let other people limit them. So it has to do with what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. But you're, I'm also interested because you're a guide as well, right? Like, are you a hiking guide or a backpacking guide? Um, so far, I've only guided hiking. Okay. Just day hiking. And how did that happen? Do you mind talking about that? Yeah. So I actually, right before I went on the Wonderland Trail, I took a woofer certification, which is Wilderness First Responder mm-hmm. um, in in Portland. And something in me, like I love teaching. I love interacting with people on that level of like sharing myself with them. Mm -hmm. And I guess that segued nicely into writing a book, but I, I, I just always really felt called to hiking, like to guiding hiking because of how much hiking changed my life. I Mm -hmm. thought more people should do this. And, and I could be the person to take somebody who's never hiked before and show them how to do it. Or even just, you know, you don't really have to show anybody how to do it. Just like walk with them. But <laughs> uh, well, you do. Fun. There's more to it for sure. Especially um, on the mental level, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the part that I really enjoy. So like there's, you know, there's different types of guiding hikes and, you know, there's interpretive guiding where you're showing people the trees and telling right, them what yeah. birds live here. And And while I enjoy having that done for me, because I don't know any of those things. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I've never been the type of person to be interested enough in geology and plant life and stuff to do the research and to learn the names of things and Mm. remember them. But I do find those things interesting. So I'm like happy to hear about them or even just to read about them, but then immediately forget. But what I really wanted when I got into guiding was to share the experience with people and, and to tell them my story and to be a part of their story. And the first trip that I guided was in Grand Canyon And it was just a day hike, but we did, the whole group went down to Indian Gardens, which is four and a half miles down. And then we took a couple people an extra mile and a half out to Plateau Point. And 
so that was made a 12 mile round trip for those people and nine miles for the other. And most of those people weren't big hikers. And for a lot of them, like it was a very challenging day. And honestly, it was a very challenging day for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, one of the clients said, this is the best day of my life. Mm. And that was such a powerful experience for me to, to say, like, I got to take this person on what to this point is the best day of their life. Right. That's- and, and the thing that made it so great for them was like, they were challenging themselves physically. They were doing something they hadn't done before. We got snowed on, we got rained on, like it was a hard day of hiking and, and they really got to see themselves as a person who was doing something really hard. And I think that is what a lot of us are seeking when it comes to hiking and physical activity is like to view ourselves as a person who can do hard things. And so being part of someone's journey in that way is such a powerful thing to be the person who's there encouraging them and and walking alongside them the whole way saying, I know you can do this. Like, you got this. So yeah, you know, for, there's a lot of different aspects to guiding. And Mm -hmm. for some people, it's very much the, the knowledge and the nature and knowing the place and, and sharing the information with people. But for me, it was a lot more about sharing the experience and, and being in space with people while they're doing something difficult. We talked a bit about her experience as a guide, because it's something that's been on my radar for a while now. But that imposter syndrome is really big for me. I have interviewed with a company and I just didn't feel I fit in with them. So she had some advice about that too. But I think like with anything, if you're passionate about something and you want to do it professionally, like you also want to find a company that aligns with your values and is doing it the way you're interested in doing it. And there are definitely guide companies where the experience for the hikers has nothing to do with encouraging them to hike. Like they're, they're hikers, they know what they're doing and they're here to like see the place and Mm. be told about the place. And then there are places or companies that are looking for more of that kind of like empowerment experience and like for amateurs or like, there's a lot of different ways that uh, hiking trips are marketed. And so that's definitely something to look at when you're looking for a job is like, how are they marketing these trips? do I see myself as a person who can guide somebody in that way? Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? What are you doing now? What are your plans? You've got so many exciting things going on with the book. Yeah. So right now I'm just like knees deep in book launching and that has been its own adventure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I know you're probably not looking ahead yet because you're still in the thick of it, you know? Yeah, I definitely, I have another book coming, but it is definitely in the very like slow rolling process right now Mm. because I don't have time to sit down and write Um, between shipping books and doing all this marketing and podcast interviews and, and just thinking about all the different things to do for Alone in Wonderland and really trying to get it out. Because like I said, I wrote it for the reader and I want to connect to the reader. I don't want people to just read it and then move on with their life. Like I want to hear from them and I want to discuss with people what they're going through in their life and like talk about the things they're thinking about, you know, I've had so many people already reach out to me. I'm thinking about doing the Colorado trail this year, or mm-hmm. I'm going to read this before I hike the Appalachian trail next year. And, and I think it's really fun to make those connections and it takes up time. So I spend time talking to people on Instagram and, and doing that. So I'm definitely like stewing on a second book, but I also want to still make traveling and hiking and those things a priority in my life. And so I actually am planning to do the Colorado trail this year. And <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, I'm hoping to get that in this year. And then if it goes well and I can make it work financially, I'd like to do the Arizona trail mm. after like in the winter, maybe mm. next January. Um, so those are kind of my big like hiking goals, but my partner and I just bought a condo in the Denver area. So we're kind of like nesting and doing like house things, which is a nice change of pace after living yeah. in a van for three years. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of explode into your new level of space. <laughs> right. I'm like, Oh, I can buy a guest bed. Like, yeah. <laughs> so fancy. <laughs> so, and also, you know, dealing with the aspect of 
loss of identity that comes with going from being a hundred percent mobile person to living in a house again. And kind of that idea that we have of ourselves as, as whatever we are doing right now. And so I kind of had to like, let go of like, okay, I was doing van life and like, now I'm going to refocus and do house life, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with my partner and, and we're, building a relationship and we're figuring out how we work together in space. And it also affords me the space to order a pallet of books and ship them out and do things that would be really difficult living in a van full time. Yeah, for sure. So I know you're guiding, but are you working on other things as well? Or because like, I guess that's a struggle of mine. We kind of alluded to it a little bit with, it's really hard to go back to just being, you know, a regular person in your full-time regular job eight to five you know like that's a real struggle for me with do I do I want to try and go back to that life where things felt really stable at least and financially secure but I know it would only last a certain amount of time before I'm like I gotta get out of here so have you found that balance with your work life and your trail life and your home life Sort of. I'm still still working through it. I had gotten a f- kind of full-time mobile job last year okay. and for a travel company. And I was like working on their website and doing social media and, and things that I could do from the van. And that was a really great opportunity that I was very excited about. And then COVID happened. So I got laid off and I took the summer off and went climbing and backpacking and just kind of traveled around. And then in the fall, I came back to Denver and got a retail job. So I'm working part-time for an outdoor gear company. So I feel like it's aligned with what I want in life. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's an opportunity for me to go to a store and talk to people about backpacking and skiing and climbing and all the things. So it doesn't feel as much like work as a desk job would and between that and then the book stuff, I really am working more than 40 hours a week right now. So it's not a balance I would like to maintain forever. Right. Um, not sustainable for the long term, but. It's not. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now I'm, I'm kind of juggling those balls of working, working more than a full-time job. But I'd like to get to a point where I'm, I'm really actually only working about 30 hours a week and then able to hike and run and do the things that I want to do and, and have the time to be with myself in space mm-hmm. and not not always be answering to a thousand other people's questions and and just those kind of demands of being a working person. Sure. But I think going into business for yourself is something that a lot of people do after they've experienced the freedom of something like the trail. Yeah. Because yeah. you you do want to control your time and and be able to put yourself into the things that you're really passionate about. Right. Yeah. I 100% agree. Something came up when you were just talking because you mentioned you mentioned your parents and their kind of focus on the financial aspect and things like that. And I was about to ask you, like, what do your parents think? And then I just remembered your post from today because your mom, it sounds like your mom has passed. Yeah. And I don't know the um, situation with that or if your dad's still around. But and again, if you're not comfortable talking, I'm sorry to bring up like a somewhat emotional. But, I, you know, I know my parents struggle with with my decisions. And I always have this thing in the back of my head. What are they thinking about me? You know, especially when I don't feel like I'm OK, but you are having these great successes at this point and launching a book. And I'm just wondering what, what you think they would say about it now, even though you went in a completely different direction from where they were trying to steer you, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, that's, it is actually something I talk about a lot in the book is, is my relationship with my mom and then her death. And when I decided to hike the Appalachian trail, she was confused and mm-hmm. not very supportive. She just didn't understand why I would give up a good stable job to go walk around in the woods for six months. And mm-hmm. so it was a bit of a battle. And then she actually died while I was on the AT. So oh. there was um, 
a bit of a like change of direction in terms of what I was trying to get out of the experience after she passed. And, and it is something I think about a lot, you know, mm-hmm. as I moved into a van and then went and hiked the Wonderland Trail and did all these things and then started to write a book. And, and I still was kind of uh, rebelling against the idea of having a normal job. I thought, oh, my mom would hate this. (laughs) You know, there was so many times that I just, I knew that the things that I was doing weren't what she wanted for me. Mm -hmm. But I also had to look at myself and say like, I'm, I'm finding me here and, and I'm trying to figure out what's making me happy. And I think at the end of the day, even if she didn't understand what I was doing, she would be happy that I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've had, I still have a good relationship with my dad and he lives in Arkansas. So I don't see him as much as I'd like to, but we talk a bit and he's actually been incredibly supportive through the whole book writing process. And it was one of those things that I thought he also was not on board with me hiking. And he also didn't understand why I wanted to do that. But then, you know, three years down the line, I feel like every every decision I made from 2014 to 2018, he was like, what are you doing? And then when I started writing the book, something about that resonated with him. And Mm. he's been, he's been really on board with that process. And it's funny to me because I think how many people 30 years old go to their parents and say, I'm going to write a book and like be a professional author and their parents say, that's a great idea. You know, I think a lot of people's parents would approach that with cautious optimism of like, that's nice, but you're going to keep working. Right. Yeah. Right. You've got a backup plan. (laughs) Becoming an author is not like a sure thing. Um, And so it really surprised me when he just was right on board with it. And, and through the entire process, it took me two years from the time I decided to write the book to well, it was a little over two years from the time I decided it to like having a physical book. But the whole time he, I, I really felt like he believed I was doing it. And I thought it was so funny because I was like, he didn't see me writing. Like he didn't know I could have just been saying I was writing a book and he would have been like, cool. Okay. Like he didn't know what work I was actually doing really for the better part of a year, year and a half before mm-hmm. I started like hiring editors and, and doing the more, logistical parts of being an author but for the first long stretch I was just writing a book right and you know and how many people say they're writing a book and aren't doing anything oh Um, that's me (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of other people (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's it's just one of those things that for some reason that really hit home with him and and it's been such a wonderful part of our relationship for the last two years that I finally feel like I'm doing something that like he's really proud of. And, and I know my mom would be proud of too. Mm-hmm. And so that even though my financial situation is still less than stable, I feel like, like he looks at me and thinks I'm doing something. And for a while I really wasn't. And he yeah. definitely knew it, <laughs> you know, when I was hiking and, and roaming around in a van, he's like, what are you doing with your life? Right. And the only answer I had was like, finding myself or, you know, I'm on this quest that is very difficult to quantify. Yeah. But, and I, I think it comes from, and I just said this uh, recently to somebody else on a different interview, like it comes from a place of love, I think, because they want you to be happy and successful because that's what they think is going to make you happy and successful is have that stability. But I just think some of us are just on this path of going inward instead of the external. And it's hard for, it's hard for my parents to understand, I think. And they've always been supportive, but I know they struggle with like, what is she doing? Where is she going? And have their opinions on what I should do. And, but I know that they love me. I know like, and, and your, you know, your mom probably sees a broader picture now you know, I don't know what you believe in, but that, yeah, that she's supporting you with you and can see all of the work that you did really was amounting to something, you know, even though it wasn't quantifiable in the way that (laughs) normally people do, you know, because think about how many people you've reached now with your struggles and your stories and your ability to share and be vulnerable. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I think that I have 
her to thank for so many things. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things I write about in the book is this idea of trying to define myself separately from her and not be her daughter, so to speak, like to be my own person and to mini me. (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think we, as you know, I'm sure men have some version of this too, but I think as women, we identify so much with who our mother is and we have her insecurities and we have her strengths and her weaknesses. And like, we get so much from the person who raises us that we do go through a phase where we're like, I want to be as different from that person as I can possibly be because Mm -hmm. I, to be my own person, I have to not be her. And I think that was a big part of my like breaking away and wanting to assert this independence that it took several years for me to realize how much of her is really in me. Mm-hmm. And, and now that she's gone, like that is the way that I get to see her still is the things that I do and say that I think that's exactly what my mom would say, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I look in the mirror and I see her and, and I look at my writing and I see her and I, you know, there's so many things and places where she's just part of what I'm doing and who I am. Yeah. And that's, it's always unavoidable, right? Like as much as you try not to become your parents, like we all do. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and even if we are, even if we're fighting it and even if we're fighting it successfully, like they're still influencing what we're doing. Right. Cause now we're, we're purposely trying to do not what they would do. Which yeah. is still, <laughs> like, They're then still There's influencing the us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, thank you for sharing all your vulnerabilities and yourself with everybody. If people want to connect with you more, where's the best place for them to find you? So Instagram is my main social media. It's at Rugged Outdoors Woman. I'm super happy to talk to people in DMs and communicate that way. I also have the website for the book is aloneinwonderland.com. And there's a contact sheet on there. So if you're not an Instagram person, you can always uh, send me a message on there and it just comes to my email. And so I'm happy to talk to people there as well. Okay. And that's also where you can order the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also I should just say to go to your website to order the book if possible versus Amazon. I think you're trying to be a little more independent. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're in the U.S., um, my website is the best place. And if you are in anywhere other than the U.S., there's a website called bookdepository.com. And as far as I can tell from the website, they ship worldwide free and it is available there. So I'll put links to those things in the show notes too. So it'll make it easier for people to do that. But could I ask you one more quick question that I ask everybody? Yeah. Do you, do you feel free in your life now? Yes. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty quick. Unequivocally. Like, you know, we all do little things that we have to do because we're part of a community and, Mm. you know, I pay taxes like everybody else, but I do feel free in the decision-making and and the choices that I make. And it is, I only let other people's opinions affect my decision if they're opinions I care about. Right. Awesome. I think that was the first really quick. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good. So thank you. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for for having me on and sharing your audience. I really enjoyed this conversation with Christine. She's done all the things that I've been talking about doing. Wilderness guiding, writing a book, traveling. And you definitely want to read Alone in Wonderland. Even though the context is backpacking, you don't have to be a backpacker to appreciate it. She has a really fantastic sense of humor. And she shared about our adventures with dating apps, uh, the good and the really bad, the loss of her mom, trauma, relationships, friendships. And there were points in the book where I was laughing out loud, and there was definitely points that I was shedding some tears. It's really well written, and I'm sure it's the first of many books for her. I'm super inspired by her and really hope that you were too. And you know I want to hear from you. Please shoot me an email or message me on Facebook or Instagram. Did anything strike a chord with you in this conversation? 
I love hearing about your insights from these episodes. And my favorite way to hear from you is through leaving a message with my Google Voice number. So thanks so much for listening till the end. If you like what you're hearing, please share this with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast. I'm so grateful for your time. And I'll be back again in two weeks with another episode.